Pray with me. God, hear our prayer. You are our only hope. From birth, you have been our only hope. From the time we were young, Lord, you taught us your word. And even today, Lord, we open your word and pray that you will speak to us and pray, Lord, as the years go by, as the psalmist says in Psalm 71, God, do not forsake us when we are old. We live with the hope, God, that you will wash us. And no matter how much rain falls this weekend, it cannot take away the guilt of our sin. But we thank you, Father, that through Jesus Christ, you have already provided for our cleansing. So Lord, help us to believe what you say is true. Help us to receive your gift. Help us, Lord, to know that you will not leave us. You will not forsake us. I pray, God, for the broken people in this room today. Those who have lost hope. That today, Lord, in the truth that we learn about your spirit who lives within us, that, Lord, you will take away all of our fears. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good. All the time. I am so glad to see you this morning. I was thinking with time change and spring break, and, and rain, well most preachers are just out of their pulpits today, but I, I'm glad I didn't miss this. I'm glad I didn't miss Kristen's song, thank you. And uh, choir, thank you for this powerful, powerful arrangement. Thank you for worshiping and singing today. And it's good now to open God's word. Soren Kierkegaard said that the Holy Spirit is the unexplored continent of the Christian faith. We are afraid of him, he said, but it's time for the church to face up to the fact that our power is not in our pocketbooks or our personalities. Our power is not in our organization or our teaching or our rhetorical skills because the only power that changes lives, like yours and mine, for instance, is the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been thinking about coming to life in the Holy Spirit, and we've learned about the one who sets us free from the penalty and power of sin. And last week we saw, I just started down four uh, trains of thought with you, four words with you, and said that when the Spirit comes, there is rest, because the mind that is set on the Holy Spirit is peace. Remember, we said that, we said that in Christ there is relationship, and I promised to talk about that this week. I said, in the Holy Spirit, we have righteousness, in the Holy Spirit, there is resurrection. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. It's time now to take another step on this journey and to see what it means to have relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit. We know that the Father is, 
is our guarantor of a bright future. Let's study it together. Would you open your Bibles with me? Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. Coming to life, our series today, Fearless Children of God. Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. Let's stand together as we hear the word of the Lord. In our Thursday morning Bible study, we saw in 1 Peter 4, let him who speaks... Speak as though he is speaking the very words of God. Pray for me that I will be able to do just that today. Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. May God make it so today. You may be seated. So what do you fear? It's not that there's nothing to fear in the world. The world can be a very frightening place. We have all kinds of fears. They've done studies of the various types of fear. Some of the more unusual ones, anuptophobia, the fear of not getting married, triskaidekaphobia, the fear of the number 13. Look in the elevator the next time you get in a very tall building and see if there's a 13th floor. These fears are are everywhere present in our world and they affect us as well. The Apostle Paul, speaking about the Holy Spirit, having taught us all that we've already learned, makes this interesting statement that the very presence of God living inside us delivers us from our slavery again to fear. Whatever spirit you received, he says, when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, it was not the spirit of slavery again to fear. No, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, Paul will say to Timothy, this young minister. He says, God didn't give you fear, but, but love and power and a sound mind. God didn't give you fear, and whatever our fears are, hear this today, all of our fears as Christians, all of our fears are caused by calculating without God. But to have the Holy Spirit is never to be without God, but always to be with God, to know that God is with us, Emmanuel, and to, 
and to choose, Paul is saying, now that you know that God is with you, why not be with him? Why not live a with God kind of life, as Dallas Willard says? It would free you. We saw last week from sin management. We don't have to manage sin anymore. It would free you from all of your fears. And if you ask me this morning, why shouldn't we fear? I would say to you that because we have the Holy Spirit, we know that we have a Father. Because we have the Holy Spirit, we know that we have a future. Notice in verses 14 and 15, he says, because we have the Holy Spirit, we know that we have a Father. I I know it's in vogue. In fact, let me just put it this way this morning, true or false, we are all children of God. True or false? We are all children of God. If you ask that question in our culture, I'm convinced that a a huge supermajority in our country would say, we are all children of God. And they would mean by virtue of creation. And that as far as it goes, is true. In fact, the Apostle Paul, trying to connect with the crowd in Athens, Acts chapter 17 tells us, he quotes one of their own poets and says, you're right when you say we are all the offspring of God. But he uses a different word there than the words that he uses in this passage. Trying to connect with unbelievers, he said, you are right if you look at yourself and say, something about me came from something that was greater than me. You are right when you think that. But then he went on to tell them about the resurrection because here's the truth. You are the creation of God simply by virtue of your birth. But we become the children of God by virtue of a second birth. And only those who have been born again are the children of God and the co-heirs with Jesus Christ that he speaks about here. And so I know that, that as we said last week, there is this hostility toward God. I, I, I feed off of you and I was reading your eyes and some of you were not convinced that we were ever hostile to God. Even though Paul said it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. Even though he said when we were enemies, literally that word, it's the same word that's used here in chapter eight. You were hateful You were haters of God. And somebody in our culture will say, well, we don't hate God. There was an interesting article recently where a man said, it's easier in the United States to say, I believe in God than to say, I don't believe in God. Therefore, he said, we are not becoming less religious as some say we are. He's right about that in most places, maybe not in Manhattan, but in most places. In Houston, for instance, it's easier to stand up and say, I believe in God than that I don't believe in God, but my question is exactly which God do all of us believe in? And the minute we begin to say, Tim Keller says, the minute we begin to say the God of the Bible, the the God who said, you shall be holy unto me, the God of Mount Sinai with the rumblings and and the, and the fire and the lightning, the minute we begin to talk about the God of the Bible, that's the God to whom many are hostile. So they say, I, I believe in a God of love. I choose not to believe in that God. One young man, Kirk Cameron, made a bold statement when he was placed, uh, really put on the spot 
um, by Piers Morgan. He made a bold statement about the way God views marriage and uh, Morgan took him to task. And one, uh, one of his former co-workers, one of Kirk Cameron's um, uh, former co-workers in, in one of the sitcoms that he was in said, we need to get Kirk Cameron a New Testament because he only understands the old. But what you and I know is that there's continuity between the two. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And the God of the New Testament says one man, one woman together for life. That's not just an Old Testament idea. That's a New Testament idea. That's God's idea. And to the extent that people in our culture don't get that, that's the very hostility. So if, if somebody says to you, well, I'm not, I'm not hostile against God, but then you say, but what about the biblical God? And they say, well, I just don't agree with all of that. Then you've made my point. We lived at enmity with God. We were God's creation, but we were not his children. And Paul says, when the Spirit came, then you were no longer to be a slave again. Notice that word again, to fear, because you used to be a slave to fear, but you're not a slave to fear. What is that fear that we could become slaves to again were it not for the Holy Spirit and our awareness of him in our lives? Well, Sinclair Ferguson says, it's the fear that Satan puts in our minds when he says, um, God really doesn't love you. Or when he says, I know all of your sins and you really are condemned. Or given your past track record, what are the chances you're going to persevere to the end and follow through on your faith? And when we hear those messages or maybe those tapes play in our minds, we, we see Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation. So there isn't condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And when Satan says, God is against you, we read later in this same chapter, God is for us, literally since God is for us, who can be against us and when we hear this message that would make us afraid that says God doesn't really love you we read we'll, we'll study this on Easter nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord no he says you've not received the the spirit of fear but you've received the spirit of adoption the spirit of sonship. He says, you are the sons of God. Don't take exception with that. And the new NIV is right when it says he's not just speaking to men here. We're the, he goes on to say, doesn't he? In the next verse, we are the children of God. Somebody studied this and said, he says, we're the sons of God because in the ancient culture, the only family members who received the inheritance were the sons. Read again in the book of Joshua, when the daughters of, uh, one of the tribes come and say, look, we, we need some land too. We need some land too. Why did they have to do that? Because they weren't included in the inheritance. So when Paul says this, he's going to include everybody with that word children in the very next verse. But when he says you are the sons of God, all who, who follow, if you're led by the Spirit, if you follow the Spirit, you are the sons of God. What he's saying is you are fully in the family. It's not a matter of gender. It's a matter of full inheritance you get everything that you're supposed to get because you are the children of God so my daughter and I were watching a movie this week uh, she convinced me to watch the movie Hugo it's not a movie I would probably just go and pay ten dollars and fifty cents to watch 
unless my daughter wanted to watch it. And then I would watch it. And so we were watching actually in our living room. We, we pulled it up on our, our infinity or whatever that is. And she knows how to use that. And so we, we were watching this, this movie, Hugo. And it's an amazing story about a, a boy whose father's an inventor. And, and he loses his father in a tragic accident. And he has a good-for-nothing uncle who brings him in so that he can get him to do his job of keeping all the clocks running in a train station. The boy lives in the catacombs. He steals food so that he can survive. He steals parts because he's trying to finish an automaton, a robot that he and his father had found in an old museum and he was trying to put it together when his father passed away. And so he steals parts from a little inventor, a little clockmaker there who sells his clocks and trinkets there in this train station and the little boy stays just just one just one step ahead of the gendarme ahead of the inspector there in Paris who's always ready to take little boys running around in the train station and send them off to an orphanage because he after all had been thrown in an orphanage and because he had been he had been penalized in that way he thought everybody who was an orphan ought to be sent to an orphanage but the gendarme had been wounded in the war so he wasn't quite quick enough because of his leg, he couldn't catch the little boy. And then one day the little boy is caught by the inventor from whom he's been stealing, the man who um, runs the little store. And that is the beginning of the change of his life. And there was a scene in that movie which made me understand why my daughter loves that movie, why I love that movie. I just want to, can I show you this this morning, just this little clip with that background? Just watch what happens when the little boy gets caught by the policeman. When he's that close to his life changing, the policeman finally catches him. Watch this. After the gendarme says, to whom do you belong? Every child needs to belong to somebody. And from the crowd comes the voice of the inventor who looks at him and says, this child belongs to me. And maybe you have to have been 
in an orphanage or abandoned or forgotten. Maybe you have to have been through that to appreciate fully the the meaning of those words. But what the scriptures say is even though we were the creation of God, we were estranged from God. And God, through his Holy Spirit, says to us, not just once, not just five times, but every day of our lives, this child belongs to me. And so he says, we cry out, as Jesus did in the native tongue of Jesus, Aramaic, Abba, Father. Those words became real to me when we were in Israel one time and we were going down into a dark tunnel and there were two little girls who were running ahead of us but there was darkness ahead of us and they would run. You could hear them, the little pitter-pat of their feet and then you could hear when they became afraid because they stopped in the darkness and they would cry out in the darkness, Abba, Abba. And then a voice from behind me, their father would say, I suppose in, in the language of Israel in Hebrew, I am here, I am here. We know what it's like to be afraid, but we also know that to have a father means we don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid because you have a heavenly father through Jesus Christ who died for you, through the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who confirms every day that you are a child of God. You don't have to be afraid because you have a father, but it's better than that. This is the intimacy. He's our father. We cry out to him, Abba, Father, but it's better than that. We don't have to be afraid because we have a future To have a relationship with the father is to be like his son. And think about his son who died but then rose again, who ascended to the the right hand of the father, whoever lives to make intercession for us. And all that belongs to him belongs to us as the children of God. He uses three words here to describe this. He says we are heirs with him. We suffer with him we will be glorified with him and maybe the most important is the little prefix with soon in Greek with 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 to be with God to have God with us means that we are heirs with Christ that we suffer with Christ that we will be glorified with Christ it means that we are heirs With Christ, one of the first things that happened when Casey moved into our home was Melanie's dad calling us on the phone. We were still two years from her adoption being finalized. We didn't know that. Some of you have been through that. We didn't know it was going to be two more years. But Melanie's dad on the phone saying, I called my lawyer and he changed my will. I now have six grandchildren instead of five. Casey didn't know what that meant then. She probably doesn't know what that means right now. But there will come a day when she understands what it means to be part of Jim Freeman's family. There were days uh, in those early days when we started just, just things in life together, just eating together at the table. Her favorite food, I told you last week, beef stroganoff. I make it from scratch from Hamburger Helper every Wednesday night. <laughs> Every Monday night, every Monday night. And, um, and the first night, she was eating so fast. 
And she was looking at Chase, and she was looking at Graham, and she was looking at us, and she would get another helping. They told us at the children's home one night she had seven helpings of beef stroganoff. That's how we knew she liked it. But as we were eating there that night, we said to her, you you can slow down, you can slow down. And then it occurred to us that growing up, she didn't always know if there would be more. So we took her on a tour of the kitchen. We opened the cupboard. We opened the refrigerator and the freezer and said, we're never going to run out. This is what the Father says to us when we're afraid, when we don't know what the future holds, when it, when it seems uncertain. He says, I am with you. You are never going to run out. Every, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the power of him who called us by his own glory. And don't miss this word. And goodness. Don't doubt his goodness because there is much in this world that would cause us to doubt the goodness of God but all that we know about God makes us trust him for all that we don't know about this life this God is inestimably incalculably good to his people and he's not going to run out of goodness and grace And mercies that are new every morning. You don't have to be afraid. Because you have a future. And within that future you are heirs of God. You receive all that Jesus receives. But part of that is suffering. And don't chafe at that. Because were it not for his suffering. Then you and I would not be his children. If we suffer with him. We'll be glorified with him. We can explore the depths of that in the weeks to come. But just understand this, for us to become children of God, a price had to be paid. There's a magnificent new little commentary on the, the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew by Matt Woodley, in which he tells about, one of the stories he tells about the story of his friend Andy and Andy and his wife decided they lived on Long Island and they wanted to adopt a child and they went down to South America and they thought it would just be easy but some of you have been through that international adoption is not easy and when you think things are done they're not done and when you think people will do the right thing they don't do the right thing and there are governments involved and there's corruption and and he was stranded down there in South America trying to get this little girl and bring her home with him. And every day he ran into a new official who had a new fee that he had invented that day so he could take more of this man's money. And Andy kept working through that. And there would have been many times when he could have said, you know, it's just, it's just not possible. I'm not, I, this is never going to work. There were times when he feared for his own life, but he continued and he worked. And finally there came that day, that magnificent moment when they handed him this little girl. And the thing was, when he was fighting that fight, he still had not seen her face to face. He had just seen pictures of her. And, and she, had, she had never um, done well in a sporting event at that point in her life. And she had never, she had never aced a test at that moment. She had not done a single thing to earn his love. He didn't know that someday her smile would would light up the room. He, he, He didn't know when all that was going on that someday she would fill their home in Long Island with the sound of the music of Mozart on the piano. 
He didn't know any of that. But he said, all I could think was that somehow I've got to deliver her from living in this world, this world that she's in, a world where she was destined to the grind of poverty and suffering. And so he suffered so that he could deliver her from that suffering. And it was at her graduation party with all of her friends standing around at the age of 18 that she stood up and she said, I don't know what my parents had to pay to get me, but I just want to say thank you. And as Andy told this story to his friend Matt, and as Matt recorded it in the book, Matt said, my friend Andy is not a believer. But as he was describing it, he was fighting back tears and he was saying, if I lived a hundred lifetimes, I would never have a moment as magnificent as that moment when she said thank you for what you did for me. And so we live our lives Matt's friend Andy was very close to the gospel. We live our lives giving thanks to the God who risked everything he had, who gave all of his all, and we had not earned it in the least. There was not one thing we had done to earn his love. The only thing we contributed to our salvation was the sin from which we needed to be forgiven. And still, he stayed on that cross And we live our lives today in gratitude to the one who allows us to be co-heirs with him. And yes, sometimes we share in his suffering. I don't understand Colossians 1, but Paul says sometimes we fill up in our bodies what's remaining of the suffering of Christ. In other words, there's continuity. Isn't that what he's saying between his suffering and ours? But I also know that Paul says to the Corinthians that our present temporary momentary suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And for all of this, we give thanks and all of our fears are caused by calculating without God. But you and I are not Praise God, we are not without God. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you that you never run out of grace and mercy and goodness for us. And help us today not to doubt you, but to trust you. Because you, O oh God, are good. And you, O oh God, are strong And so we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.